Now, I'm excited to talk. I, it's always nice to connect with Rob. Rob has a show here on this station, um, which airs um, on a couple times during the week, but Thursday is afternoon as well as on Sundays. And I, I always learn so much. Um, Rob's a pastor and, and is um, a different kind of teacher. I mean, you, you have a passion for Hawaiian history, Rob. And you understand it. I mean, you, you understand these people as if they were your friends. I always get the feeling when you talk about these particular people in Hawaii's history as if you, you knew them, you know, and you give us insight into them and insight and insight information um, that really draw people um, into understanding some of the amazing things about Hawaiian history we'd never know otherwise. Well, Hawaii was a very amazing place in the 19th century. Of course, it's amazing today in the 21st century. But Hawaii went on this transformation of its values and culture that preceded the missionaries coming here. It started with, of course, the unification of the islands with Kamehameha and then the, the overthrow of the Kapu system prior to the missionaries coming here. They, and it started this thing, and all within that 80- to 90-year period, Hawaii, the Kingdom of Hawaii became a force that was known in the whole world. And that's amazing to me because it's a tiny, isolated place geographically. But we know people like Alfred Lord Tennyson was writing poetry about Hawaii. I didn't know that. He wrote a beautiful poem about the chiefess Kapiolani. Remember the story where she threw the forbidden berries into the volcano and defied Pele? Well, Tennyson wrote a poem about it. I didn't know that. And and, uh, it's available online, but uh, it... You know Tennyson. He he he, he has his sir. bombastic style, but he, he's uh, <laughs> Sir but, Alfred. But Lord. here, yeah, Lord Alfred uh, Tennyson. He just did this this poem because people in the 19th century were talking about Hawaii, and they became the most literate country in the world in the 19th century, after only having a written alphabet for about 25 years. And uh, I credit it to the fact they didn't have a Department of Education. They just had a hunger to learn. And, so they, and good teachers. And great teachers. Yeah. And so the schools, of course, we had the first and only college here on Maui over in the... Um, Lahaina? Uh, in Lahaina Luna. Mm-hmm. And so we educated people like David Malo, uh, Samuel Kamakau, these Hawaiians who were encouraged to preserve Hawaiian history and culture. But for me, the, the, the interest that I have in Hawaiian history did not come because I am inclined toward history. My wife can tell you I don't remember our own history. Uh, <laughs> how many children do we have now? Dangerous. And, uh, what are their names? <laughs> but um, but it, it came because I did find a common thread in these people's lives. And so Kapiolani the High Chiefess or Keupulani or uh, Henry Opukahaia, these people – were passionate about life in the islands and what it could be. They mm. really wanted to see a paradise here. And so it went, after centuries of warfare, to a place that we know as the land of Aloha. So it's a, it, it's a great history. It's fascinating. Not always. I've lived most of my life in Hawaii, but it was only in the last nine or ten years that I got an education. Really? Thanks to other people and their books and contributions and their passion. And so now I... I 
put it onto a radio program because I think that there's a lot of people like me who are well, yeah. not appreciative of well, this great heritage. I would have guessed it had been your life. I mean, I can't believe you just learned the last nine or ten years because you learned a lot. And you communicate beautifully. Thank and, you. of course, that you Thank put you. to work. You have Sunday services up at still Kamehameha School, right? Yes, we do. There We're guests of their hospitality because we sold our property. We used to have a church in, uh, in Pukalani across from the uh, high school. But we sold that property in hopes of enlarging our land and using our church land for a heritage education site. So that's in the works, and we're moving forward. That's it's all I can say. It's a dream. It's a dream. It's a vision and a dream. And, yeah. and you have, and I guess for the last, was it three years you've been doing the trips to Israel? Yes. Uh, about a year and a half ago was our last time. I've made several trips. In fact, I met my wife, Nora, in Israel. We're going to have to do trip. that. We'll go uh, talk about it. It's an amazing <laughs> love story. It really is quite amazing. Well, I don't yeah. know if we'll have a, uh, enough time in, in today's program. But yes, I went to Israel. Uh, first time was 1985. I met Nora. I fell in love with the land. I had traveled. I feel like you two, that travel enhances your life immeasurably. It gives you perspective. It gives you challenges. Your staid thinking about the American way of looking at things, and it's wonderful. Everyone needs to travel more, and so I traveled expecting another travel experience. But my experience in Israel was <laughs> so much richer than anywhere else I'd traveled. I'd been to Europe a number of times, Southeast Asia. I'd been around, of course, south of the border, north of the border, but I had not experienced what Israel has to offer uh, until 1985. And I was reluctant, like a lot of people are today. Oh, I don't know, it's a long trip. Is it secure and so on? Mostly for me, it was about uh, the money (laughs) and the time. And they offered a a very attractive deal uh, that I found I couldn't refuse. So I went somewhat reluctantly. Of course, my life was changed by the Israel experience and by Nora. Where did you two meet? We met in Jerusalem, actually, in a hotel in the elevator. Um, ah. My family had come from Iran. Um, I was born in Iran, and with the Islamic Revolution or the upheaval there, they were finally able to leave Iran, so they were staying at the hotel, which actually belonged to my uncle. And Rob was on a tour with other pastors for the first time. And um, so we met in an elevator. I would stay at the hotel. I was at school then, but um, just I would stay with my family. And uh, so we ran, I ran into him early in the morning. Now, for all those people listening on the radio, if they look at the radio and they see Nora, they'll know why. <laughs> She's a beautiful was, woman. Thank you. Thank it's got to be a weird kind. living in a hotel as your base, too. That's got to be right. very interesting. Oh, I didn't really live there, but I would stay with my um, mom you, and brother uh, for a few days uh-huh. yeah, and then go back. We had to be in the dormitory. Yes, but it was, it was unusual and... Uh, but, you know, you were surrounded with tourists, too, and very enthusiastic American yes. tourists who would just talk to anyone, which just wouldn't stop talking to me. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, enthusiast is a euphemism for talkative. Yeah. Well, I think that is probably a trend that I think it's probably an apt description. I think um, I know for me, <laughs> I talk a lot. And I may, perhaps Americans do talk more. I hadn't really even thought about that much. But I guess we can be rather vocal, can't we? <laughs> Yes, I would say with my from my experience. Yes. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, so 
I don't know. The Steven Tyler song "Love in an Elevator" came to me. I, I didn't know there was no. Oh, yes. There's a song. There's a song. There's a song called "Love in." Do a Facebook live. I didn't know that. That's, that's um, right. But, it's a but, captive audience. And, that's and, you, and I get the feeling you speak a couple of languages. Is that yes, right, I Nora? Do. Yes. Uh, just being born in Iran, speak Farsi, and uh, going to school in Israel, speak Hebrew. And English. And English, yes. So that's so. very handy because on these yeah. tours, um, most all the people, I, I would imagine the majority of people in Israel speak English. But I think still, that's yes, they do. Yes, but it, it's a, probably a different feeling speaking Israeli. They probably treat you a, a little differently. You go on the trips and you get yes, to speak definitely. Israeli. Yes, speaking speak Hebrew, yes, definitely. In certain areas, it will. Uh, make a difference, especially dealing with cab drivers. And <laughs> <laughs> get that one. Yeah, if, if you speak English, uh-huh. you can be sure the rate will go up. That's but right. when Nora starts speaking Hebrew, then they hold to their original rate. <laughs> I love it. So there's going to be a Holy Land tour coming up October 10th to the 21st. And uh, that's a nice time to go in October, right? Perfect time, Beautiful weather-wise. weather. Beautiful, Beautiful weather. weather. Yeah. yeah. And um, the thing that excites me about this is that you do cover the best areas and you understand the places you're going to with an insider's point of view. I think the part that's going to close the deal for a lot of people is the fact that the price is unbelievable. It is. The price is great. I know. That's because, um, aside from Kathy, there are no travel agents that I've dealt with that get you the best price, uh, except for this one on the mainland that we found a few years ago. Our friends just got back from Israel about three or four weeks ago. They paid almost twice what we paid, and it was ground only. It didn't include airfare. Wow. So for thirty-eight ninety-five, it's flights out of uh, New York, out of JFK, round trip, all meals, all hotels, tour guides, taxes, tips. You can't spend money except breakfast on our and outings. dinners. Our breakfast and dinners are included. You could buy yourself a falafel. During lunch, because mm-hmm. we go out and we're out, you know, away from the hotel, but we're um, everything's included except gifts. You know what you want to you want to buy for your friends. And by the way, I just talked to the travel agent this morning for one hundred additional dollars. So that would be thirty nine ninety five. That will include round trip from L A. Wow to Israel and back. Wow, that's so a very good deal. So I mean, a trip from. Israel to Los Angeles, I would imagine it's about a thousand dollar value. You know, yeah. nine hundred to a thousand dollars. So you're getting all of the hotels, your breakfast and dinners, your tour, your excursions, um, for like two thousand eight hundred and if you're going from LA, two thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars, yeah. which and is it, amazing. It is good, and the the hotels that we are we did last time were more than satisfactory, but this time we're even upgrading. We're going to a full blown. Brand new hotel. Nora watched its construction years ago. Oh, yeah, ago, that's right. Even. That's right. Uh, Which, where is that? It's on the slopes of Mount Scopus, so it has an amazing view of Jerusalem, of the old city. Oh. And it's called the Dan Hotel. It originally started as Hyatt, but now it's Dan, and it's beautiful. Just the location, uh, the view, the um, the the whole um, – it's a larger hotel in comparison to the other hotels that are smaller. So overall, it would be a great experience. Wonderful. Yeah. And so then w- when we're up in the Galilee, we stay at a kibbutz hotel. Uh-huh. Now, I thought of a kibbutz as people living in tents, tents and yeah. farming the land, getting up at dawn and not seeing uh, seeing the light of day uh, in their home. But it's actually the opposite. Kib- kibbutzim, uh, 
run hotels as a business. So everything that you would get at a Sheraton or a Hyatt is done at the kibbutz. Beautiful rooms, air conditioning, buffets, everything. Beautiful views, especially up in the Galilee. It's green and lush. Great place to, to be. We, we were there for a couple of nights. Most of the time we're in Jerusalem. We do also have a couple of nights in Tel Aviv. And we go to the seacoast, the Mediterranean, and uh, see some of the sites along Dead sea. the coast. And, of course, we go down to the Dead Sea. We're still in the hotel in Jerusalem at that point. We go down to the Dead Sea. Uh, what is it? About uh, 2,000 feet below sea level. We're down there. and Isn't that close to on the way there to the caves where they found? Yes, Qumran. Qumran the, the caves. Qumran caves the where famous... they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right. And it, that's astonishing to me. Uh, I had seen that in textbooks all my life. But you go down there, and you're standing maybe 100 yards from the actual entrance to the cave. Wow. And you wonder, why didn't someone else discover those scrolls or use the jars that they were holding them yeah. for thousands of years? Because that was about two centuries before Jesus lived. They were The scrolls were put into that cave. And now they it's as if the... the the discovery of it waited for the birth of the nation of Israel because for thousands of years, no one paid attention to the cave. And mm-hmm. we're talking nowhere else in that area is there a cave to get in out of the rain or mm. get out of the sun and except these caves. And there they were. Nobody disturbed them for 2,000 years. Wow. And then the shepherd boy, of course, you know the story, threw a rock in there to chase his goats out, heard something break, and went and discovered the scrolls, wow. which are the greatest authentication of the ancient texts of the Bible that we have. And some of them were burnt, though. Oh, yeah. They, uh, they took uh, them, uh, he took them home, and his, and his mother, I believe, yes. used some of them for oh, fire, for that's kindling. That's a painful that, story, yeah. Yes, used the papers. Well, yeah, we think about it. survived 2,000 years. Unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of them survived, and uh, most of them survived, actually. Uh-huh. And uh, what's interesting is we went to the museum where they're kept, and I turned to my wife, who's fluent in Hebrew, and I say, can you read this? And she said, yes, I can. Same language, same. Really? Same alphabet. 2,000 years later, you could read it. It's ancient Hebrew. So uh-huh. imagine like uh, Shakespearean English. So right. there, is, there is a difference. Uh, it's not as fluent reading as you would pick up a Hebrew book and read it. But, yes, you can make, you can read the words, and you can make what the context is. Did you go to the scrolls. museum? There's a museum there in, in, yes, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. It's called the Shrine of the Book. Right. right. Yeah, I found that very interesting, and you can get little mini, for oh, tourists, yeah. they're great gifts. You can get oh, little yeah. mid, mini Dead Sea jars to, right. to, to give right. people. Exactly. Yeah, right. um, I I I found just walking through Old Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, of course you have to go to the Wailing Wall, don't you? Of course, and yeah. and uh, you have to say a prayer there, you know. And, oh yeah. But you really do feel like you're back in time. You know? yeah. I mean, there's there is no very time much. when you're right. walking those small streets. Right. And um, you're seeing people, some of them wearing the same clothes, you know. Yeah. Um, you can really imagine very easily that you were walking there 2,000 years ago. Yeah, yes. very much so. And I, I agree with you 100%. And that was what was different from other places I had been. You know, you go to Europe and you'll see something that's thousands of years old, mm-hmm. which is good. But somehow when you get to Israel, you really feel like you're touching the bedrock of civilization. Yeah. And, it, and it's a different feeling. Yeah. It's a, it's an orienting feeling. It gives you an appreciation uh, for where we are, where mankind is. Mm. And there it is, a little tiny strip of land that's at the 
junction of three great continents of Africa, Europe, and Asia. And there it is. It was forsaken for many centuries. No one went to it. When Mark Twain visited, mm. he said it was totally desolate. But there wasn't. Really? And yeah. He said, uh, yeah, in, in you know, the late 1800s when he visited, he said you'd have to travel three and a half days to see another human being from Jerusalem. I didn't know that. So the idea that it was teeming with thousands of Israelis or Palestinians just is not the case. There were no villages, no towns. It was just it was pretty desolate except for a few places. Well, the church of the Holy Sepulchre. Church, yes. Of course, in Israel has mm-hmm. been the site mm-hmm. for centuries. And so whenever there's been a population of Christian pilgrims or Jews who wanted, they would go always visit the uh, the city of Jerusalem. But there was no Tel Aviv. There were not a lot of the development. Oh, really? There oh. was... It was a pretty desolate place. Well, I'm pretty impressed with how they have been able to use and develop the water systems to be able to turn it green. And they actually do the desalination process, don't Correct. they? Yes, that's, that's a new, relatively new technology they're using. And Israel basically is self-sufficient for water. And not only that, they're helping the other areas around them. Uh, the territories of Palestinians, basically 80% of the water comes from Israel. Uh, so in the area which is basically dry and desert, they really made the desert bloom. Uh, so much so that agriculture is a source of income for the government of Israel. Yeah. Uh, and they, at time, uh, Israel was even exporting tulips to Holland. So, I didn't know that. Yes, to yeah. make wow, I can't to even make. imagine tulips and from Israel. And oranges to Spain. And oranges to Spain. Yeah. So, okay, now you've been there both. I mean, you lived there for how many years? I lived there for eight years. What's your favorite place to go to in Jerusalem? The old city, uh, for sure, the Western Wall. It used to be one of my most favorite places that I would go at night and go there to just observe and just pray. And just, as you know, it's magical. It is. uh, To be in in the old city. But um, the new city, part of Jerusalem, is beautiful, too. Uh, The... um, the Mishkanot Anim, that's an area for the artists. It's the first neighborhood outside of the walls of the old city that got populated. And uh, it's an old area, but also very artistic. I didn't know about that. Uh, that sounds wonderful. So you have beautiful galleries, beautiful walkways, and it's a little bit on the hill. So you see the whole view of the old city and the wall oh. around the city. Oh, Again, at night, it's beautiful because the, wall, the lights that are on the wall... Uh-uh. And uh, the whole neighborhood just um, lights up, and with all the activities, mostly artistic activities, it's definitely a is place to be. Is that where the be. windmill is? Yes, that's there's where a, the there's Montefiore. a Dutch-looking windmill right there. You know, you kind of well, that ties in with the landmark. tulips, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it someone brought a windmill <laughs> and traded for some tulips back yeah. when. Right. Um, I mean, I remember the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. That one got me. That the old olive trees, the the olive tree's roots are like really like through two and a half feet thick and all mm-hmm. completely all intermeshed and and it feels like it's timeless. This yeah. garden is is so powerful. I could have actually spent hours there. I didn't have time. You you are aware that olive trees do live to be two thousand years yeah. old. So there may have been trees there that that were in the garden when Jesus came by with his disciples. So it is. It's a it's a powerful place. Uh, the Western Wall, you referred to as the Wailing Wall. Um, these sites will have 
an impact on you at some level. Like you resonated with the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, I have now made six trips to Israel, and every time I hear reports from people like you that say, this was so powerful for me, mm. or this was so emotional for me. And you cannot, you cannot necessarily uh, expect that everybody has the same reaction. Mm-hmm. So I, I liked different things. Obviously, Nora at, at the Western Wall, she would be there every day if she could. Mm. That's right. And, and that was the thing. It's impressive, no doubt about it. Well, just a little background on it. That There is obviously just a portion of that wall, but that wall goes back. There's a portion of that wall, they say, that goes back 2,000 years, oh, right? yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. To the uh, original, that's one of the founding areas where the temple, the sacred temple was. Right. It's the western wall of the garden of the temple mm-hmm. around it. Uh, so, But it's built when you they've dug down. So this wall is built over the ancient walls, that, which even goes further back, mm. thousands of years back. Uh, but yes, uh, that wall is the remainder of the temple of what was in Jerusalem. It was a perimeter wall. Mm-hmm. And when the Romans came in 70 AD, they, they destroyed the temple. Mm-hmm. There was not one stone of the temple that was left upon itself, which is interesting because Jesus had predicted that yes. about 40 years before. He said not one stone would be left. And there's an interesting reason why that was. It wasn't because they were interested in fulfilling prophecy. On the contrary, but because it was lined in the temple with gold. Oh, and when I they set fire that. to it, it got sucked into the cracks. And oh. so the Romans, in order to retrieve the gold, had to literally remove every stone one from another, which they that. did. Amazing. But the Western Wall was the perimeter wall. So that as close as a, an observant Jew can get to the temple site is that wall. Mm-hmm. So that's why they stop there and they pray. And they, you know the story. You write about, a little prayer. You write a little note the and you fold it up and you stick it into it. I wonder whose job it is to take all those prayers out. and There know? are. No, there are. There's a synagogue who is responsible for the temple area, mm-hmm. for the prayer, the prayer books, all of that that goes on, and they're responsible. Because otherwise you wouldn't have any walls right. left because there's so many prayers that are yeah. stuck yeah, between the they're rocks. They're pretty full. But, <laughs> but once a year, I think uh, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, yeah, they take all the so. prayers out and they very respectfully uh, put them together and they offer them as a burnt Burnt offering to Interesting. God. Interesting. So, so the prayers set fire to all the Well, if you're just questions. tuning in, I'm talking to Rob and Nora Finberg, um, who are experts in Israel, and they're going to be doing a trip coming October 10th through the 21st. And it's an amazing deal, all inclusive. That yes, that does mean air. Three eighty-three thousand eight hundred ninety-five dollars breakfast and dinner, your airfare, your hotels, your short. I said short, your excursions, and. Um, Airline taxes, fuel surcharge, gratuities, which is big. Um, great deal. But the thing is, you have to get your reservations in by, what, July 1st? Is July 1st would be very good. We uh, we set that as a goal. So quick talk to the wife and the husband, grandmother, whoever's going with you. Uh, make sure you have that time open. It's a great time of the year. It's past the high tourist season. That's why we're able to get a very good rate. It's not going to be crowded, and yet the weather is going to be perfect. It was. We went a little bit later. We went November yeah. a year and a half ago, and honestly, there was not one day that was unpleasant. 
whether we were down in the desert at the at Matsada or we were up in Jerusalem in the mountains, mm. the, it, it didn't rain on us. It didn't cook us. We were just it was just it very was beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah. a great time of the year for Israel. Absolutely. How and, many and are, you, are you taking on the group, or do you have a limit? You, uh, we have a, a oh, we have a uh, a limit, <laughs> probably a forty-four, because that's the size in the big touring buses. But uh, we went with twenty-nine yes. plus tour guide, bus driver, and so on. We were a little over thirty. Good, good we all spread out. I got to tell you an interesting story. We had a, a couple from Oahu that joined us, retirement age. And so he said, Pastor, make sure everybody circulates so that we could change whoever sits up front. Ah. Well, once you ride on these buses, uh-huh. they have glass basically down at below your seat level. Huh. So you just feel you're out there wow. looking at the sights. Everyone got in the bus. Nobody moved, including that couple. They just sat I right where they were. I find that people do find their seat and they want to keep it. I when I've been on so many, so many tours where... You, you get, and it's always like one seat in one area that someone wants to go to. I do yeah. that. I, I mean, I know where I sit, and it's not in the front a lot of times. It's out by the back door of yeah. the bus and usually yeah. on the window side of that. But I, I get you. It's interesting. And that we, we were comfortable it. because we had 30 people on the bus, people spread out. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about one of the things they do for security is no one ever, in, in the tour company, no one ever leaves the bus. So it can't be broken into yeah. Uh, vandalized. It can't be done anything. Just good. So you can leave your things. Right, exactly. So you instead buy of schlepping your you camera have, exactly. back to the hotel, you exactly. just left it in there first thing in the morning. You had your jacket, your camera ready to go, jump on the bus, gone. Now, the, people can sign up after uh, July 2nd, but there is a, a fee. So well, there's just in probably case a slight penalty. Them. You know, I, I, I didn't get that uh, exactly from our travel agent, what that is, but. Uh, Best thing is sign up before July 1st. Yeah, and the number to call um, is Rob at Grace Church, uh, 572 You can look it up, Grace Church. That's our regular number, and I do that because we have an uh, answering machine and people there, usually during the week. If you call after us, no problem. Just leave the message, your name, callback number, and we will do whatever we can to accommodate you. Uh, I got a recent email question, uh, a couple, retired couple. They said, well, how far do we have to walk? Mm. And, I, and by comparison, I said, I walk further from where I park at Costco to get to the store than I ever had during the tour. Really? They pull the bus right up to the entry, mm. and most places are conducive to uh, accommodating the visitors that come there right away. So mm-hmm. you walk into um, – Caesarea, for instance, and you go to the Hippodrome. Explain what that is. What's the Caesarea? Caesarea, named after Caesar. The Roman Empire had colonized all of the Mediterranean area, and so they built what you would expect to find in Rome, uh, like the amphitheaters and the Hippodrome. I didn't even know what a Hippodrome was until we were there. I thought it had something to do with hippopotamuses, but it doesn't. It's where they had chariot races. It's the track. And they have it? Oh, yeah. It's been fully restored. Wow. And here's another thing, Cindy. I'm amazed. The time I went in 85 to where I am now, it is a different place filled with more recent discoveries. Uh-huh. So there's a whole city. happened to be in the city where King Saul had died, Beit She'an, where they 
it didn't exist as a tourist site when I was there. And now they have the entire city excavated, and you can walk down through the marketplace, and you can go to the amphitheater, and you you can see the city kind of emerge out of nothing, where they just bumped into it. They discovered its wow. site and location and restored it. They're constantly discovering the Pool of Siloam. I don't know about that one either. The Pool of Siloam is in the Gospels. Like Siloam, the Siloam with the dancer? No, not oh. like Salome. Sal- Salome, okay. But it, uh, Siloam in Hebrew is, uh, my wife can maybe help us here. It means sent or to, to be sent or something. Uh, Siloam, uh, the root of it is from peace. So from Shalom. Shalom. Oh. Yeah. So there was a pool there, and Jesus in the Gospels had sent uh, a blind man. He said, go and wash at the pool of Siloam. And when he washed his eyes, his sight came back to him. Hmm. So this was only discovered a few years ago. So I'd been to Jerusalem four, five times before, but this time they said, here, we found the pool of Siloam, and it was excavated. Uh, it was all, there's a, an amazing site, which I decided not to go to because I'm claustrophobic, but it was a, uh, a quarter of a mile long tunnel that King Hezekiah had dug under Jerusalem to bring spring water into the city in case it was under siege. Mm. And so here it is, an engineering marvel where they had cut through solid rock at the right pitch for a quarter of a mile to bring water into the city. Like our Hawaiian aqueducts. Yes, like our Hawaiian (laughs) aqueducts. But here you have the opportunity, as many of our tour group do, to walk that quarter of a mile Mm. in the belly of the earth. Mm. It's an amazing experience. I think the closest experience you can have being in the womb because you're covered all around. You're Mm. surrounded with rock. But you, you go in this tunnel and you can't see anything. But you just you're in this motion no, of moving through. No the electricity tunnel. down there, no light, and you're and in water almost up to your waist. Right. Wow! You know, about halfway up your really? thighs at least. Oh, and the wow. people are wading through this in dark, pitch black, dark. Wow. And so, of course, I gave some flashlights and things, anticipating this. Yeah. I knew I wasn't going to go <laughs> because you really you kind of kind of what's living down you. there in the water? Nothing, <laughs> thank nothing God. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nothing slithering <laughs> down there. Slithering no. down. Um, okay, so we wanted to, you brought up something interesting before we went on the air, which was the embassy, the new embassy, which yes. is, a, I mean, I have to say, that we're, this is political, and I know people still are divided on this issue, yeah. and I have total respect for that, because I really truly can see both sides of this issue, Oh yeah. Um, and, and there were people that were really against the embassy going up, there were people for the embassy going up. There were people saying this is going to cause problems, and there's, there's even some fear of people and some warnings about people traveling when the embassy went up. Now, you've been in touch with this situation. What have you found? Well, I, I've been. I think Nora can weigh in on this as well. But uh, first of all, it's beyond politics. It was thousands of years, the capital of Israel. And even recently, it was the capital of Israel. The parliament is there. The prime minister lives there. I, I left the hotel when I was there in 1985, wandering out in the neighborhood, and I noticed all these young men with earpieces in walking around. I said, where is this? They said, this is the prime minister's house. Oh. It looked like any other house in the neighborhood, but it happened to be where the prime minister lived, and these were you know, secret service walking around, and I thought, he lives in Jerusalem. The hotel's in Jerusalem. The mm-hmm. parliament's in Jerusalem. So in actual fact, Jerusalem has been the practicing capital since 1948 
of Israel. It was a divided city for a while. Jordan controlled half and Israel controlled half until the 67 war. But um, having the embassy there just uh, to many people makes sense. And yes, I'm aware that people have a, a different opinion. However, when we go back in October, I think we will see not only the United States embassy, uh, Guatemala has put its embassy there, a number of uh, Paraguay has put its embassy there. Uh, altogether, about 10 other nations have joined the United States in moving their embassies to Jerusalem. Hmm. Well, I mean, I did see the opening and I saw the, the building and everything. So, I mean, and people now are recognizing that I wasn't aware that other countries had put their embassies there as well. Yeah. That's new information to me. Yeah. So that's going to become another point of area where a lot of politics and things happen, of course. And so well, that'll be an interesting Israel's always going to be uh, a place of controversy. So uh, mm-hmm. let, let's just accept that. I don't even know, you know, and I pray for peace. I'm doing a new CD called Peace, Poems, and Prayers. Mm-hmm. And I do. And, and, and the saddest part is trying to ever um, figure out if there can be peace that can occur. I mean, with the, the differences and uh, it goes into the genetics, it goes into their DNA, it goes into the history, it goes so, so deep. Yeah. Um, and it seems like nothing has been able to draw the Palestinians and the Israelis together. Well, and it's so sad that, that they're, you know, if this peace ever could happen there, it would take a miracle. And I believe in miracles, but it's really um, a hard situation. Let, There's no way around that. Let me add this footnote to what you're saying. Yes, it, it will take a lot to have peace in that part of the world. But our group, a year and a half ago, was quite surprised at how Israelis and Palestinians live together. We stayed at a Palestinian-served hotel in mm-hmm. East Jerusalem. And our, our bus driver was named Mohammed. He was Palestinian. Our tour guide was Israeli. His name is Iran. So here you have Iran and Muhammad making Israel Arab jokes mm-hmm. as we're going on the tour. We are being served and enjoying the company of Palestinians in the hotel. It, it, they, they all said to me, we didn't expect this. We, we expected there to be more tension mm-hmm. than we actually found. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I want to say, of course, my wife talked about her family owned a hotel. Yeah. Majority of the employees were Palestinian. Wow. Did you want to? Yes. Well, there are two issues here. The Palestinians who live within Israel and the Palestinians who live within the territory. Mm -hmm. So there's really different life is going on within those two areas. It's Palestinians within Israel. They consider themselves even Israelis. There is. Uh, they go to Israeli universities. They work within Israel. They, their life is basically, um, like Israelis. There's really no difference. They have Israeli travel document. They come and go. Uh, as I wish they vote, they have representative in the Parliament of Israel. So they have freedom to, to choose politically whatever they want. So it's a different story within the territories. Within the territories, it, it is not under the government of Israel. They have their own leadership. And as we know, there is our disagreements about those pieces of land and how it should be uh, managed in a way, which, which group of people. Uh, but regardless of that, what we are going to also emphasize in the tour, which is very informative, is about the becoming of the state of Israel, the Jewish state. How this, uh, just in 70 years, how Jews who came from pogroms and anti-Semitism and Holocaust were able to get together in companionship and in friendship with a lot of Palestinians who already lived in the land and create a state of Israel. 
Yeah, that's very and interesting. I didn't realize that a lot of the about the two separations of the Palestinians in Israel versus the different outside territories. Right. So that explains a lot, and that explains also how you could have a driver who yeah, would, Muhammad. Uh, yeah, Muhammad. And, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I'm not a, a social media person, but our group are still in touch with Muhammad, and he had a new baby girl, and they're <laughs> just sharing pictures, and they're all excited. And incidentally. The news, just a couple of days ago, the Israeli uh, authorities came in and they evacuated uh, or displaced Israeli families that were living in Palestinian-owned land. That's right. Illegally. Their house was built illegally. And, again, government of Israel has no problem uh, demolishing homes who are built illegally, even if it's Jewish homes. Yeah. Be, in order to enforce the fact that they're a rule of law. Yeah, and th- and I'm saying that because we would expect Palestinians, as uh, rumored to be second-class citizens, wouldn't get justice in the courts. But the courts mm-hmm. favored uh, the Palestinians in this case, and he said as Israelis, you built your house illegally on Palestinian land. You have to move. And there were, of course— you know, anybody being moved out of their house is going to resist. So here you have Jewish people mm-hmm. in the Israeli authorities fighting Jewish people as residents to move them in the name of justice. And I mm-hmm. think that's going to go a long way to bring peace. When Palestinians see that the courts are going to give them a, a, their due process and their day in court to bring about justice that serves their end, I think they'll eventually re- – because, frankly – Israel is the only democracy in that part of the world. It's the only place you can have a, 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 a grievance against the government and get satisfaction. Well, not going to find that in Syria. I find, truthfully, I mean, I was there years ago, I think 20 years ago, and maybe a little less, maybe 17 years ago. And I have to say I would encourage everyone to go to Israel um, and because it is um, a special energy you're not going to find anywhere else. There's a light there you're not going to find anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's life-changing in many ways yeah. because you cannot help but be impacted yeah. by what you see there and what you experience there. And with a group such as yours, because you know it so well and you're a history buff and, and you obviously lived there eight years, right. Nora, and you speak Hebrew. I mean, this is a very special, special trip. And um, I just want to encourage people to take advantage of it, something a trip like this you'll remember for a lifetime. Yeah. You, you have repeat people that go back uh, more oh, than Oh, yeah, months? it gets in your blood. You're surprised. You find yourself, after you return, you know, you're excited to share what happened. But then in about six months, you just say, i got to get back. got to go back to Israel. i got to go back. And we found that with people. We have a, a couple in our church said, sign us up. We want, we've been, we're there a year and a half ago. We could travel anywhere. We want to go back to Israel. Uh, I want to bring up a point. On the island is uh, a new rabbi with the Chabad group, a wonderful guy, Rabbi Mendy. And he came by my office today and was talking about it. And he said, you know, this is Bible prophecy being fulfilled, Hmm. that you see Israel reemerging, as it was prophesied in the Bible, that the Jews would be scattered all around the world. And you can't get any further away than Maui. And here are the Jews. And they are going to be brought again into the land. And so here's the rabbi telling me, course i share his view exactly said this is the land that god said he would bring jewish people back to and it's happened and this particular tour that we want to do has all the biblical sites that you could ever want to see in addition to that we have added zionist sites you Mm. want to name a few of them there 
about? Sure. The, it's the Independence Hall, which is the reenactment, actually, of reading of the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel as a Jewish state by first President of Israel, Ben-Gurion, David Ben-Gurion. And it's the same room, the same location, and they've done it exactly the same. Same curtains is, and table. Right, and there, is the un, there was the underground uh, Israeli defense forces at the time because the land was under the mandate of the British, and they weren't very hospitable to the Jews. So they have an underground place where they developed weapons themselves, bullets and weapons, believe it or not. And if Israelis, if any of the Jews would be found with weapons, they would be taken away by the British and given to the Arabs. There was an agreement at the time between the Arabs and the British government, and it had to do with oil agreements with other Arab countries, but besides that. So you have all these underground places. We have the Palmach Museum. Palmach was the uh, defense group, that which were like the... Uh, like the Minutemen, I would say, to the to the formation of America. That's the, right. The ragtag group of volunteers, the Palmach. Uh, and it's not just a museum. It's an interactive museum that you learn about these people's lives. And to look at Zionism, by Zionism may have a little bit of negative connotation, but by that I mean group of ragtag people who have come from all over the world, who have escaped anti-Semitism, and, and massacres of them, basically, with no experience in agriculture, no experience in fighting or being part of a military. And these, in a matter of few years, you're talking about, that they got everything together and be able to bring the establishment of the state of Israel that the world would vote for, the United States, the United Nations would vote for, and to see in 70 years how far they've come technologically, agriculturally. I, I just, they um, had Exodus on TV the other night. Yeah, it's right. it kind of interesting. Not, not historically accurate, no, but a great movie. A it, it is nothing short of a miracle. Mm -hmm. And when we go to these sites about Zionism, we can see how really this was a fulfillment of prophecy, and these people were helped by, by supernatural force to be able to succeed to bring about a Jewish state. They really are. There was a prophecy in ancient time. I know we're coming to the We've end of our program. got one minute, yeah. <laughs> but it, it said, through Israel, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And the technology that's coming out of Israel is changing the world. Our cell phones, we owe to the Israeli technology. Uh, breakthroughs. President Jimmy Carter was just treated successfully for his cancer with a drug developed in Israel. There's so many breakthroughs. They're now developing an artificial eyeball that will connect to the brain and give blind people sight. The, the level of technology is changing the world, and it's just been in 70 years. I have a friend, Judy Stein, who's actually, I think she's over there right now. She's uh, helping to fund a new hospital Great. there Amazing. in Jerusalem. Yeah. You know, um, People, you need to get on this because it's really like only a week and a half, maybe, um, yep. to get on this by July 1st. You have to contact... Um, contact Pastor Rob, 572-8384, 572-8384 at uh, Grace Church, and uh, he'll give you the information. And I guess you could probably use easiest just to call you, but there's, is there a website? Uh, well, it's connected to the brochure, but oh, okay. please call, leave your phone number. We'll do whatever we can to make it possible for you. We, d we did that the last trip. It's more possible than you'd think. And you will not forget this. Trip. It's a great deal, thirty-eight ninety-five with air, and uh, that's all inclusive. So, we're out of time. But call Ca Captivating Journey. Kathy can help you. Also, two four four fourteen fourteen. We love you, Kathy, and Bye. a big aloha <laughs> till next time.
And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Nice meeting you, Nora, as well. Thank you. Thank Aloha. you. Aloha. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. I have that.